You are looking live at chicken dinner. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. I think I'll take two chickens. Go on riverboat gambling trips. You're going to die for some chickens. Hey, what's your chicken dinner? Someone is. It was feathers yesterday. There was no chicken. What you got riding on this game? My daughter. What a gambler. It's chicken dinner. Hey, Babalugas, we got a bet here. Here's your host, Sam Panionovich. It's called Winner, Winner, Chicken Dinner right there, boys. <laughs> Let's get this thing going. Winner, Winner, Chicken Dinner. How about that? Oh, away we go. Chicken Dinner, Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. Follow on Twitter at ChickenXDinner, Instagram at ChickenDinnerSP, and smash that button so the show comes up right on your phone when it goes live and you can listen as you please. We will talk to Dalton Harp later on in the program, writer-director of the short film Charlie. What goes into writing a sports betting flick? And how did Dalton create a main character that is very, very lovable? Now, this is a short film, but it's proof of concept. So it's malleable, and this is something that Dalton is trying to get to the next level. But it's sort of like the blueprint for what a sports betting film could look like, and I think you should all give it a shot. He actually sent me a message a couple weeks ago and said, Hey, I wrote this movie. It's about 37 minutes long. I want you to check it out. And I got to it, and I really enjoyed it. So if you're into sports betting and you're into the education of the space, check out Charlie. You can find that on YouTube, searching for Charlie Sports Betting. Our record right now, hot. 110, 87, and 4. We're up 15.6 units. And since we talked last Thursday, 9 wins and 4 losses, up 4.6. Very, very strong. And I always say the first weekend of the tournament is my favorite. I just love the dogs. And on Thursday, we had Drake catching points. On Friday, Wisconsin catching points. Friday, Syracuse catching points. The under, Rutgers and Clemson. On Saturday, more dogs. Iona, plus 17. La Tech, plus 4.5. And And on Sunday, two more dogs the right way, Loyola and and Syracuse. We did lose the team total on Arkansas by the hook. We lost Winthrop. That was a very public dog, which was unfortunate, but I was bullish on that. Virginia blew it as a seven-point favorite. That was the only favorite I actually took from Thursday into Monday, and the biggest whiff of the first round for your boy, Kansas, plus one and a half. That was over before it started. USC shot like 60% from three, and that was it. The Pac-12, nine and one in the tournament. And the Big Ten has one team left. Who had that coming? Nobody. We also saw the bartender poke his head out on Saturday, laid three and a half with UConn. I think he thought that Kemba Walker was still there or something like that. Jim Calhoun still drawing up plays. They never even had a shot. They lost outright to Maryland. And then Monday, I got a text on Monday. He was very shocked that there were games on Monday. He said, wait a minute. Says, when were their games on Monday? And I thought to myself, oh, shit, this is good news. Didn't even know the games were on on Monday. But loved Michigan, minus five, after all the homework and all the research he did. I'm guessing it was as simple as, wow, it's a number one seed only laying five. And it was close for a while. Really close with ten minutes to go. And then LSU had a stretch where they scored one point for like five straight minutes. And that was all she wrote for LSU. So the bartender, one and one, as we roll into the Sweet 16. I wanted to start the show talking about the difference between bets and brackets because my bracket is completely shot right now. But I also flipped on my bracket after about three days of the tournament. I had Illinois winning the national title and Ohio State in the Final Four. My bracket is dead. But guess what? 
on Saturday, once I saw the lines pop up on Illinois Loyola, I knew exactly what I had to do. I was ready to rip my bracket in half because I knew the sports books respected Loyola, but once I could get a sense of how the public disrespected Loyola, I knew it was an auto pick and an auto bet. There were people on Twitter that were coming into my mentions making lines on Illinois Loyola. Illinois minus 10, 11, 12. I'm like, oh, no, this is bad. And this is before the line had even come out. You know, people on Twitter, they're making lines now and have no idea what they're talking about. And, of course, the market comes out and the books hang pretty much sevens, painted. So I'm sitting there going, this tells me everything I need to know. I know Loyola is a bet because the books know what they're doing here. They're going to put minus seven next to Illinois, and everybody is going to load up on Illinois. And as an Illinois fan, first and foremost, that made me extremely nervous. And I thought about, all right, well, what can Loyola do very well? Pass the basketball and get Kofi Coburn out of rhythm. And that's exactly what happened on Sunday. Kofi Coburn on the defensive end of the floor had no idea what he was doing. And that was because Cameron Crutwig was able to exert his excellence and really throw things out of sorts for the Illinois defense. He had Coburn out to the high post at the free throw line, which opened up the cutters. And then when the cutters got into the paint, Illinois collapsed and it just left wide open shooters. They took the beast out of the paint away from the rim. And that was how you beat Illinois. And Brad Underwood and company had no clue how to answer it. And Io didn't play well either. He sort of sat on the sidelines. Not literally, but figuratively. Illinois was outplayed, outworked, outhustled, outcoached. But my brother, this was a tipping point for me. My brother texts me. He's at a party on the south side on Saturday in Chicago. And he goes, hey, I'm sitting around and all these guys sitting here are talking about how much money they're going to bet on Illinois minus seven. I thought I thought to myself, oh boy, here we go. That line didn't even budge with all the tickets and all the money on Illinois and everybody who had Illinois in their national championship and final four and winning it all. Yes, I did, but I flipped on that because I knew better. I don't give a fuck about the bracket. That's not my job to fill out a bracket. My job is to find advantageous positions for us to make money. And when they hung Illinois minus seven, it was crystal clear Loyola was the play. Yeah, well, you had Illinois in your bracket. Yeah, but I cut my bracket in half three days into the tournament. I love what Rob Pozzola said, too, on Twitter. Imagine betting against Jesus. <laughs> but that is the example of why I don't even fill out a bracket. I gave some final four picks with the odds. I gave some sleepers. Some of us have Syracuse 40-1 to 1 or higher available to win the Midwest. I didn't put Syracuse in my bracket, but I'm like, hey, look, if that gets muddy at the bottom, Syracuse could win a couple games, get into the Sweet 16, potentially play a Houston, and you've got the Orange at 40-1 to 1 in your pocket. If the Orange win that game, you can't lose. And I was talking to a listener today on Twitter. He was asking about, you know, how does he hedge? Jason. He goes, hey, I got Syracuse 50-1 to 1 to win the Midwest. I said, well, if it's a $100 ticket on Cuse, let's do the math. You got 100 times 50, that's five grand. I would put at least $600 on Houston to win the region before the next game. 
And then if Houston beats Syracuse, you've got that $500 free roll into the Elite Eight. And then you could take the points with the dog. You could take Loyola plus the points, Oregon State plus the points, and potentially win both. If Houston wins 72-70 in the Elite Eight over either of those teams, you'll win that 500 on Houston winning the region and then cash in the ATS bet on the dog. That's what I would do. But imagine having 100 or $200 on Syracuse at 40 or 50 to 1 right now. We talked about that on the show. I, my bracket always sucks. But I'm also cognizant and aware enough to capitalize on mistakes in the books. I don't like my bracket. After three, four days, it's never good. And, yeah, I could have put Gonzaga to win the whole tournament, but at this point, like, as a betting analyst, me telling you that the plus 180 favorite to win it all is, like, that's not (laughs) – you should have bet Gonzaga back in November or December, which, again, we talked about on this program in late 2020. Hey, if you like Gonzaga, bet it now. If you like Baylor, bet it now. And a lot of you have those futures. Gonzaga, 8-1, to Baylor, 9-1. to Betting on those two teams before the tournament didn't really make sense. I guess Illinois didn't either. But don't come at me with this bracket stuff. I don't care about the bracket. We care about the results of the picks we make in the tournament. Underdogs rolled for three straight days. David Purdom. Underdogs were 28-15 and 15 ATS in the first three days. What happened Monday? Favorites, 7-1 and one ATS. That flipped quick. And this is something that you have to be aware of if you're a dog player. When we get to the second weekend, a lot of these dogs aren't going to make it through. That's the way it goes. There's always that time for the switch to be flipped. And maybe you'll see a double-digit seed go into the Final Four. Maybe. It's possible. I don't think it's going to be Oral Roberts. And when the books throw up a number as high as they do with Oral Roberts and Arkansas – that tells more than half the story. Have you seen that line? Opened 11, now it's 11 and a half. And 80% of the tickets already on Oral Roberts and 70% of the cash. There's a reason that number is 11 and not 8 or 9. A lot like the Illinois Loyola number. There's a reason that number wasn't 10 or 11 and it was 7. I would be very careful with Oral Roberts on Saturday. It looks like a free space because they're hot. They won two games. Now I get 11. Just be careful. There was a prop floating around on Big Ten teams in the final four. It was over under one and a half. They're going to be lucky to get one. Michigan survived, advanced against LSU, but they didn't really play that well. One and a half was the number. There were people two, three. I had two in mine. Not even close. And how about the Mountain West again? Mitch Moss talked about this on VEASAN last week. Taking the under for wins in the tournament on the Mountain West. It was one and a half. San Diego State, not even close against our Orange. Utah State, see you later. Mitch said the last time that the Mountain West went over their tournament win total, 2011. San Diego State was a two-seed, BYU was a three-seed, and there were two guys in that tournament that made it worthwhile, Kawhi Leonard and Jimmer Fredette. That's the last time 
that the Mountain West went over their win total. So pay attention to that. Chris Felica, Oral Roberts, joined 1997 Chattanooga as the only teams to win its round of 64 and 32 games outright as an underdog of at least nine points. Ross Tucker, Oral Roberts has more wins over Ohio State than Jim Harbaugh. Ooh, I like that one. We saw a tweet from Albert Breer, covers the NFL, about the commissioner of the NFL and gambling. This is good. NFL commissioner Roger Goodell says the league will work with the networks to incorporate legalized sports gambling into the TV deals. You know where we're headed. You know where it's going. I think eventually you're going to be able to watch football games on your smart TV and wager on the games. If you're in state, if you're in, say, a New Jersey or an Illinois or a Pennsylvania, whatever apps are live in that state, they'll probably be on your television and you can just wager as you go. Now, in a perfect world, the NFL would run all of this, but I don't know if that's even possible with all the legality and the Wire Act and everything. But you know that people in that NFL office are thinking, all right, if we've got games on Fox and CBS and NBC, if you're watching your NFL game wherever you are, you can just hit a couple buttons. You know, like you hit the C button on your Xfinity remote for all the scores. You hit the D button, it pulls up a list of local outs. Here are all the numbers. Here's the live spread. Here, here, and here. I would imagine that's where we're going, even though Goodell said the NFL would be in trouble if they legalized sports betting. Now he's saying the league will work with the networks to incorporate legalized sports gambling. Okay. All right. This stuff isn't going anywhere, people. I got a message from a listener named Brandon Cook. He said, hey, Sam, listen to your podcast and since you are the sportsbook police, you should definitely check out how much Montana residents get robbed with Sportsbet Montana at Sportsbet MT. Montana signed the bill allows the state lottery to control it instead of having all of the other mobile books available. The odds are disgusting, and customer service is awful. Just recently, their customer support told betters that the conference winner options were for the regular season. And then once it came to fruition, they backtracked and claimed it was, oh, okay, it's for the postseason. Multiple people were posting screenshots of emails and whatnot. That's just one example of how awful this book is. Take a look at their odds if you have time. It's rough, especially NHL. And I said, hey, Brandon, I don't even know what book this is. Please share more. So he starts sending me screenshots of some of these odds. And your standard NHL odds, you know, let's say it's an even hockey game. It's minus 110 each way. If it's minus 120, you get plus 100. If it's minus 130, it's plus 110. If it's minus 140, you get plus 120. That's sort of the straddle with hockey. That's the difference between the lines, 20 cents. If a team is minus 170, you should get plus 150. Well, not at Sportsbet Montana. He's sending me the hockey games for last Friday. Well, I don't know if it's for last Friday. Maybe these are ones he saved up and accrued over time. But here are some examples of the lines at Sportsbet Montana. Toronto Maple Leafs, Calgary Flames. Toronto minus 200, Calgary plus 105. And the total in this game, 5.5 
Over five and a half, minus 192. Under minus 105. Holy fuck. You are getting robbed. Next game, Washington Capitals, minus 185. New York Rangers, plus 110. The total, five and a half. If you like the under in the Capitals-Rangers game, under minus 200, over plus 100. Montreal Canadiens, Vancouver Canucks. If you like the Habs at home, you got to lay minus 233. And the comeback on the dog, plus 120. <laughs> That's over a dollar. This goes on and on and on. So then Brandon sends me a side-by-side. He took a screen grab of a hockey match. Golden Knights and Wild. And he sent me the side-by-side of DraftKings on the left and Sportsbet Montana on the right. DraftKings is offering minus 109 on Minnesota, minus 107 on Vegas. That was probably very close to market. Minus 109, minus 107. Sportsbet Montana had minus 135 each way. How is that even possible? Do people not even know? Like, if you're betting with Sports Bet Montana, you, you, you stop. This is this is unfair. This is bullshit. It is almost impossible for you as a sports better. It's hard enough. We've talked about this on this show ever since we brought it back in August of 2020. It is hard enough to beat minus 110. To beat the minus 110 juice, you have to pick 53%. To beat minus 135? And then the side-by-side for the total, Wild and Knights. DraftKings, 5.5, under minus 20, over plus 100. Guess what these guys at Sports Bet Montana did for this total? 5.5, under minus 149, over minus 137. That is, that's terrible. I said, Brandon, could I use your name? Yep, no problem. And then he's got emails attached. Hey, I'm a little confused. Are these for the conference or the conference tournament? Sports Bet Montana. Just the conference. It will specify if it's the tournament. I, this is a mess. So the lottery is apparently in charge of this and not the uh, legal outs. He's also saying that he had the kiosk shut down on him three times with his money while he was trying to place a bet, had to wait weeks to get his money refunded. Don't even go there anymore. Don't even give him your business. That's awful. Last thing, chicken dinner merch is everywhere. It is popping up all over the country here, and I appreciate you all. It's coming up in Vegas, in Massachusetts, in Texas, in California, in Illinois. Dave Sherapin very good friend of the show, was out at Vegas, and he ran into a guy that I met in Massachusetts named Chris Thurston, who's a friend of Kelly Stewart, and Sherapin's wearing this chicken dinner hoodie. Chris Thurston is also wearing a hoodie, and these guys don't even know each other. And Sherapin walks up and goes, you know Sammy? Chris says, wait, you know Sammy? And they start talking about, you know, how we all know each other and how we're all in the same, you know, circles and all that. It's It's amazing. I appreciate the support. And every time I see somebody tweet or send a picture or whatever with the gear on, that's love right there. 
We do a lot for the show. I love doing this show. I love that it's free. I love that we don't charge anything. I love that we never will. If you love the show and you've made money or appreciate some of the conversations we've had, just go buy a shirt or a hoodie. That's all. That's all I ask. But how about that? NCAA tournament party in Las Vegas. Two people that don't know each other coming together and breaking bread over a chicken dinner hoodie. Mark! We just bring people together. Joining us now on Chicken Dinner, he is a writer, a director, and a producer. Dalton Harp at Dalton Harp 7. And full disclosure, you know, I get a lot of guys, Dalton, that slide into the DMs, right? I mean, it's just the way of the world. I wish there were supermodels sliding in my DMs, but mostly it's gambling guys. And you came in and sent me a link to this film that you wrote called Charlie. And I know you've been trying to pump this out. You're trying to get it picked up. I'll tell you what, man. I fell in love with the main character in this movie, and that's where I wanted to start. Like, she grabs you off the screen, man. She's fantastic. She came into it with no prior knowledge of gambling at all. Um, When I was kind of drafting the idea, I pitched it to her, and uh, her first question was, what's sports betting? Which fooled me off the bat. I'll let you give the quick synopsis here, but she's essentially – a sports better who learned from her father and she sort of developed this contrarian mind where she's at college parties and she's going against the grain and fading the frapperos, but it starts for her much earlier than that. Sort of give us the summary of the cliff notes of Charlie and, and what it means. I think I pulled a lot from, from my childhood as well. I remember my father, um, being on the phone at random times with uh, random people throwing out team names and numbers, and I never really put two and two together until I got to college, um, that that's what he was doing. And uh, I, I kind of built her character. I've heard great stories about um, kids being around the poker table and cheating for their fathers. Um, I just, I love the the whole gambling world starting young. And I feel like a lot of the a lot of the people that that are now pros come from that world of going to tracks and, and horse tracks and dog tracks and, and kind of learning from um, their fathers and, and parents. Um, the story just kept evolving. I sat down to write an eight minute short film and ended up writing about 150 pages of a feature film of telling this whole story of Charlie and her father's life. Um, I took the 150 pages and condensed them down to about 40 pages, but I knew that I wanted to tell the entire story. I wanted to tell the full narrative um, from beginning to end and not just a portion of it. Uh, The goal here with this film is to develop it into a feature. So I wanted to make sure that whoever could see this could see the the full potential of the entire story um, inside of those 37 minutes. I watched it, and I want to say about 10 minutes in, I was totally turned inside out by where it was going. And then from about the 18 to 20-minute mark through the 34-minute mark, I couldn't breathe. I didn't know where it was going next, and I think it's it's so well-written, and it's so much better. I mean, I don't know how many people have told me about how great Uncut Gems was. Look, I, I think Sandler's an amazing talent, but he wasn't likable. He wasn't relatable. I didn't want to hang out with him. 
your main character checks a lot of boxes here. She's likable. Hell, she's lovable. You feel bad for her. She's sort of trapped in a life that she didn't choose. But I couldn't breathe, man, for 20 minutes of this short film. I think you really nailed a lot of the emotions. That's fantastic. That's that's really great to hear. The goal with the short being being longer than a normal short film was to make sure that you were locked in the entire time. Um, and in the style that that I filmed it in, where it has the running monologue, and it's it's one giant montage. The joke on set was we're just shooting one giant montage, and for those those time codes that you mentioned from eighteen to to thirty four, um, it moves pretty fast. And uh, yeah, that's great that, that you get locked in like that. Um, most short films don't don't really do that. I'm glad that that happened. And I'm making guesses too. I mean, I go to the movies or I watch crime shows. I'm I'm sort of trying to figure it out. If it's a 60 minute show, I try and have it figured out by 40. But this one I didn't have, and I think that's a testament to the way it's written and the way it's produced. What was the biggest challenge for you writing a sports betting movie? Because there aren't many of them, and there certainly aren't many good ones. God, the challenge was to to make sure that guys like yourself. Um, liked it and and got the sports betting and it wasn't done in a way that immediately turned you off um i think the whole time while we were trying to tell this story in the back of my head i would put myself in those characters shoes to make sure that the the sports betting aspect was right first um and then we would film the scene when i was when i was initially writing it and talking to the the two leads um we went through a lot of betting scenarios. I had them read a ton of books, um, watched every gambling movie that, that exists. Um, I showed them on repeat the Billy Walters interview on 60 Minutes, um, especially to, to Charlie, the main, the main character. Um, we just dove into the gambling world to make sure that we told a gambling story first and foremost that that professional bettors and rec plus bettors would not easily dismiss it. Um, that was, that was my big challenge. And I feel like for the most part, we did well. I've, I've, I've heard some, some comments and some forums that we could have done things a little better, but I think we got it. That Walters interview is a chicken dinner favorite. That's in our vault. We talked about that. I want to say five years ago, that's the Lara Logan with Billy Walters and she's yep. kind of grilling him on how he does his deal. And of course, Billy's one of the best betters to ever do this for a living. When she's talking about all the aliases that he uses and Wolfman <laughs> and J bed. And you know, he's got all these people because Billy Walters can't walk into the Mirage and make a bet. He's got to hire a guy or multiple guys that go in and make the bets for him. I can't even imagine your main character, the actress. I can't imagine how her brain must have just exploded. If she didn't know anything about sports betting, that Billy Walters thing had to just take her to another level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that definitely opened some eyes that this was real. Um, I think between, between her and, and the Jack, the character um, of her father, I think between the two of them, they didn't realize that sports betting was as big as it is and as real as it is. Their their knowledge of it was was very small. Even even the dad's knowledge was, you know, throwing around a, a you know a fifty dollar bet between two teams. Nothing about spreads and totals and and 
and overs and unders like it was just it was it was a whole learning curve for both of them but I think with the lead actress she just picked it up and I, I she could walk in any sports book right now and and make any kind of bet on the card where six months ago if she walked in and looked up at the board she was probably terrified had no idea what she was doing or looking at and I think that's really a part of the whole thing like I want to get to your thesis in a couple minutes here but I think it's extremely important whether you meant to do this or not it's extremely important to educate all these people that are coming into the space you know a lot of these sports books I call them the American books like the ones outside of Vegas the ones that are popping up all over the place come on in sign up we'll give you a free 600 bucks and you can make your 18 parlay and people are like, oh shit, 600 bucks. Like, oh my God, think about how much I could make. And the education is really skipped over in the recruitment and the acquisition of customers. And, and people don't really discuss that in this space. And I think that's a problem. Absolutely. I really hope that I, I saw some casinos and some sports books offering, you know, classes in the afternoons of, of how to do it. And I'm, I'm hoping that more and more people kind of pick that up and instead of just bringing people in to make that lotto pick. Um, that makes me nervous. Um, while we were filming this, when we had a little bit of time when we were in a location, we would shoot um, some teaser trailers that had some of the teaching tools in them. Uh, we never got a chance to finish them because we had to get this film out. But the idea was that we had like the teaser trailers for the film were actually teaching tools of what the terminology is. Um, so, and I hope more people do that. And I've seen a few people do that. I think Charles Barkley might be in one of those. Have you seen that one? I think that one's for DraftKings, maybe. I have not seen it. I did see Kenny Smith, though, say that I think he. What did he say? He said that a, a 10 to 1 bet was a dollar to win 100 on live television. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, you know, just when I think we've turned a corner, there are people in high places that don't even understand the basics, buddy. Yep. Totally agree. What is the thesis of Charlie? What is the main point that you really wanted to drive home when you finalized it and put a ribbon on it? That's a big question. Um, I wanted, I've always wanted to do a, a good gambling film. Um, I fell in love with sports betting about 15 years ago. Um, my first trip to Vegas and I, I walked in and I was like, I can bet some sec football and win money. That's easy. Um, turned out not so easy. Lost a shitload of money. Um, <laughs> But after that, I, I knew that people did this and I, I just fell in love with the grind and the passion behind it and and hearing the interviews and, and reading the books. And I I dove in fully late 2000s, early 2010s, um, just dove in fully, loved it. I, I still I still do it. Of course, my time now I have a family and, and making these films, it a little you know, less time goes into it. But I just wanted to make something that romanticized sports betting, I mean, the way that I see it, the perspective that I have on it. I know it's not all glitz and glam. And I hate seeing those movies when, like, you know, there's million-dollar rolls and you're going to win $10 million. Like, I think Mark Wahlberg's The Gambler just just had such a, a – left a bad taste in my mouth of, of a gambling film. Um, and it always feels like, you know, we have to go all in at the end of the film. 
And honestly, when I was writing the film, I see why that happens in every gambling movie. You get stuck in a position where you have to build and ramp up to a climax. And when you're doing that, you always end up with like, you got to pull the all in card. Um, I banned that phrase from set. We never mention all in. Um, I, I, I hate that phrase uh, when we were talking about this. Um, yeah, the goal was just to to make a, a good gambling film and when it's a feature to make a great gambling film. Um, when we have a budget and we can get into actual sports books, that should change a lot of, uh, a lot of what we can do and what we can show. You've got to check it out on YouTube. Search for Charlie Sports Betting. Charlie, C-H-A-R-L-I-E. It'll take you right to the film, and it'll also be pinned when we put this post up. You'll see on Dalton's Twitter page, it is pinned right in the bio, the link to the video. He is Dalton Harp. Check him out on Twitter, at Dalton Harp, H-A-R-P-E-7. The movie that he wrote, directed, and produced is called Charlie. Please check it out and let Dalton know what you think. Hey, man, good luck with the project. I hope it takes off. I hope it goes to the moon. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. That about does it for Chicken Dinner. Thanks to Dalton Hart for popping on the show. Go check out that movie. It's a short film. It's called Charlie, and you can find it on YouTube. Record check, 110, 87, and 4. And we are up 15.6 units. Nice little roll since last Thursday. Nine wins, four losses. Nothing in the hopper right now. We're going to take a couple days here. We're going to handicap the games on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and get ready for the Sweet 16. On the Thursday show, we'll break down the brackets. Ah, no, we won't. We'll break down the bets because bets are more important than brackets. We'll do that with Courtney Fallon. Cash some tickets, make some money. We'll talk to you in a couple days right here on Chicken Dinner.